0: Welcome to another episode of the v auto Podcast Retail Revival Series. I'm Randy Kobat with Cox Automotive, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. My guest for today's podcast is a longtime client and friend at V-Auto, Kerry Donovan, who now retails about 40 vehicles a month from rolling stock specialty auto sales in Louisville, Kentucky. While Carrie grew up in the business and built a reputation as one of the top used vehicle operations directors in the country, at the former Sam Swope Auto Group, his career has taken a different turn with Rolling Stock. In fact, much of the strategy and vision for Kerry's business came from a conversation with his wife as he was planning the next phase of his career.
1: She said, let me get this right. You're gonna open a warehouse on the end of a dead end street, Middletown, Kentucky, and you're gonna put the cars inside and you think people are gonna find you and buy them. I said, yeah, I think they will. And uh, much to uh, much to my satisfaction, it was uh it was success from day one we took off running with it
0: my conversation with carrie is pretty broad and showcases the experiences and insights he's gained from a lifelong career in the car business one of Kerry's non-traditional moves is to engage consumers by appointment only he's finding just as many of you found as you've moved to appointment-only selling during the pandemic, that requiring appointments offers an opportunity to gain back control of consumer engagements. At Rolling Stock, Cary's also refined what became one of the signatures of his management of used vehicle operations, a centralized buying center for inventory. Today, Cary applies a very careful and considered eye to the vehicles he chooses to acquire, and he leaves no stone unturned in his effort to find what he knows will work at his store.
1: I really focus and concentrate on buying cars out of the uh, out of the Southeast. I buy a lot of, out of the West Coast area. And uh, when I pull up and see that a car has spent a lot of its life in Arizona, New Mexico, California, I'm, I'm all over that because I know it's going to be a car that's uh, going to age gracefully and it's got a lot of life left in it.
0: Thank you for joining today's podcast. Let's go to my conversation with Kerry Donovan. Kerry Donovan from Rolling Stock Specialty Auto. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Randy. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, you know, Kerry, we've known each other for a long time, and you've been in the business for a number of years, and you've worked for, you know, large, uh, large, well-respected dealer group in Louisville, and you also spent some time with us here at Cox Automotive before starting your current venture. So. Um, so our listeners can get a better sense of your background. What's the quick overview of your car business career, and how did you decide to get started with this latest latest chapter?
1: Well, Randy, I, like a lot of people in this industry, somewhat grew up in it. I had uh, great mentors along the way, starting with my, uh, my father. My father actually uh, started the, uh, the OK Used Car uh, Reconditioning Program with Chevrolet back in the early 60s, and I was a little bit more than my mother could handle, so in the summers she would load me up in his company car with him, and I sat on top of the toolbox while he trained people how to detail cars. And uh, that was a that was a an early education because in order to supplement his income working for General Motors, he would buy and sell vehicles, and it was my responsibility as I got a little older to uh, make sure that the uh, the details and the cleaning were. Uh, Above uh, above standards so I had a good teacher and and uh, continued to uh, to uh, evolve into keeping a focus on detail I went to work at a Chevrolet dealership at the ripe age of twelve years old in Cincinnati with another great mentor and had the responsibilities of uh, cleaning and sweeping up the cigarette butts when they could still do that and uh, it was quite a quite an education listening to some of those conversations with those sales associates sitting on back of golf carts and I was somewhat enamored with the business, and at uh, 18, I started selling. 1977 was a uh, a great time to start in the automobile business with uh, things going on in the economy with interest rates and fuel and everything else, but I didn't know any better. I took off and uh, ran with it, was salesman of the month, and that led to uh, being promoted over the years until I decided that I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial background, and I wanted to, to have my own spot, and I became a partner in a used car operation here in Louisville in the mid-80s at the ripe age of 24. That was a good 10-year run. Had a lot of fun with it until I had the opportunity to jump on board with the Sam Swope Auto Group. That was a uh, a fantastic run. Mr. Swope was a great mentor over the years. Mm-hmm. My first assignment was to uh, build and, uh, and, and open a used car superstore in the mid-90s when used car superstores were somewhat in the infancy and uh, we had instant, instant success with it and uh, he continued to remind me I need to be training my replacements because he had a whole lot more for me to do so over the uh, over the years uh, we incorporated one of the uh, the early platforms of the consolidated used car operation within the group right and that somewhat was a springboard into the centralized buying center back when that was uh, an early inception and somewhat of a a, an infant thought with a lot of folks mm-hmm. we grew that over into the uh, mobile buying service where we actually had buyers out going to homes and offices acquiring uh inventory with tremendous success and i have to tell you randy i had a had a great uh, a great 20-year run with uh some fantastic uh fantastic associates that uh i guess i'm kind of like the proud dad i i sit back in the back of the room and give a wink and a and a thumbs up watch him how they blossomed and moved on a lot of those guys are all over the country right now holding senior management positions with a lot of success but uh Mr. Swope passed away in 2015 and the uh, dealer group was sold the year after mm-hmm. and uh I elected not to stay with the uh, with a new group that had bought it had an opportunity to jump on board with you all at Cox Automotive and spent roughly 2 years in the Mannheim business unit but I missed the business sure I, I really missed I missed the, uh, just the, the action of the retail car business. And I just couldn't wait to get back into it, but I didn't want to get back into a traditional, uh, dealership or dealership group. I guess I'd listened to customers for so many years, tell me what they liked and disliked. So here I am. I'm, uh, I get up every day. I pinch myself three times. I'm having more fun I've ever had in my life and I'm living the dream.
0: That's awesome. And and boy, it was great working with you and you were part of the team here and I know, across Cox Automotive many of us learned a ton from you so I consider you one of my mentors in this business for sure so tell us a bit about your current dealership how might it differ from like a traditional franchise store or an independent store even then what do you consider kind of your niche in what you're trying to accomplish
1: well just just to kind of give everybody a little bit of an overview I'm in a a 15,000-square-foot warehouse at the end of a dead-end street in Middletown, Kentucky, and everything is inside. I don't have any inventory outside, and I always kind of laugh because normally I try to tell people before they arrive, when they pull up, they're not going to see cars in a traditional environment, but usually the husband will send the wife in to, to try to figure out what's going on, and they come in and they're somewhat awestruck when they uh, they see what's going on. That <laughs> usually 15 minutes later, the husbands call and want to know where they are. <laughs> and they said, "I think you need to come on in. Everything's good here." But uh, it's a it, it's a unique concept, not unique to the industry, but it's very unique to our region of the country. Uh-huh. I don't know anybody else in our market that's doing quite anything close to what I'm doing. But I knew when when I opened Rolling Stock, it was somewhat. Of a conversation my wife and I had one night, and we I think we were having a good good bottle of wine, and she said, "Let me get this right. You're going to open a warehouse on the end of a dead end street, Middle County, Kentucky, and you're going to put the cars inside, and you think people are going to find you and buy them?" I said, "Yeah, I think they will." And uh, much to uh, much to my satisfaction, it was uh, it was success from day one. We took off running with it. But again, this is somewhat of a hybrid of. A, a retirement hobby and a passion, mm-hmm. and I've kind of dialed it back. I'm I'm variable, thirty-five to forty cars a month is mm-hmm. what I'm currently uh, currently doing out of this operation on the retail side. I do it with absolutely no sales associates. Uh, everything is handled a hundred percent by me from the standpoint of vehicle acquisition, uh, all of the uh, overseeing of reconditioning. Of the vehicles and all of the customer interactions go through me now the end of the day I mean one of the questions was you know what's our niche Mm -hmm. the niche is really is the customer experience there's no sales gimmicks Uh, they interact with uh, with me as a trusted advisor with absolutely no pressure on buying the car and at the end of the day as I tell them I said this is somewhat of a foster home. These are my foster children. I'm just trying to find a little bit better adoptive parent form than I am. And, uh, I try to match the, the, the the personality of the, uh, the buyer with the car and it resonates so well. It really does. They, 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 they really enjoy the experience of, of dealing with somebody that's truly interested in what their needs are and sits down and listens to what the, uh, what they're trying to say. So it's an experience that's unique. As we tell people, it's rolling stock specialty auto. And not only do we have specialty cars, but it's the experience is special.
0: That's great. That's a great way to differentiate yourself. And, and I think part of that, Carrie, as is, is we were preparing for our discussion today, you mentioned your appointment only approach. And I think as dealers have kind of managed through the last few months, they have found that that is an approach that works. But, you know, you chose that way of doing business prior to, you know, March when everything was upended because of the pandemic. So tell me a little bit about why you chose to kind of implement that approach early on and and your experience with it.
1: I wanted the ability to control everything I did. I wanted to turn the funnel the opposite direction. I didn't want to have to sit here and have traditional business hours, you know, waiting for people to stop in. And it's been somewhat of a uh, of a training of the consumer to make them understand why it is that uh, I do it by appointment. And I tell them, I said, I want to give you my undivided time. I'm here by myself. I don't want multiple people here at the same time. Let's focus on what your needs are. And I schedule appointments Monday through Friday from 10 till 5 and Saturday from 10 till 2. And I don't schedule more than three a day. The The closing rate and the ability to control the customer when they know it's an appointment only. They begin to appreciate it, and they like the fact that it's it's a quick, easy process. If it's a major decision that you're making buying a car, for all you know, let's let's take let's take some time and block it out and sit down and treat it as a true business experience. And worked very well. And every time that my wife tries to twist my arm to uh, take off and go somewhere for a few days. I'm not married to it. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody knows if I'm open or not. The doors, the doors locked. I mean, they have to have an appointment to get in. So it's full control at all time. And I get the ability to really pick and choose who I want to deal with by having a, a quick phone conference with them. I share the, uh, the lay of the land, you know, why we're different, why we're unique. And I have to tell you, Randy, sometimes I may have somebody on the phone that I'll softly counsel into maybe they need to go somewhere else and buy a car and at this point in life I don't want to sell everybody I want to have a good group of, of customers that truly appreciate the uh, the process and what is that makes us unique and when the pandemic hit it was pretty much business as usual I mean I was self-quarantined inside my environment I mm-hmm. didn't have people walking in and out the bulk of my business is uh, is still internet based I mean I love when customers come here but when they go online and read the reviews, they're they're comfortable to do a, an online acquisition of the car and uh it, we ship it to them.
0: That's great. So so let's look at the business from an inventory lens now. Um you know you mentioned you carry highline and exotic cars. So what are some of the examples of cars that you stock and how did you kind of land on that strategy?
1: Well, I've, I've always had a passion for the exotic and uh in in classic vehicles i knew that first and foremost there weren't going to be any ugly cars inside my showroom i wanted the best of the best good-looking cars that you know grab your attention or at least you know make you turn your head twice and look at it so when i'm doing inventory acquisition right now randy i'm looking for cars that have a strong pedigree when i say strong pedigree whether it be ownership history the service history Unique option configurations of the vehicle. What region of the country did it come out of? I'm just bombarded with people out of the Northeast calling on specific cars that I carry. And I didn't have to deal with this many years ago, but they want to see pictures of the undercarriage because in their market, they're looking at at, at rusty, worn out problem cars. In my market, in the Louisville, we don't get anywhere near the weather that they get in some of the Northeast areas. And- I really focus and concentrate on buying cars out of the, uh, out of the Southeast I buy a lot of, out of the West coast area. And, uh, when I pull up and see that a car spent a lot of its life in Arizona, New Mexico, California, I'm, I'm all over that because I know it's going to be a car that's uh, going to age gracefully and it's got a lot of life left in it right now. Recon, recon and detailing is at the top of my, uh, is at the top of my queue. I don't want to make any apologies for anything and when customers walk into my showroom and walk around, and look at cars and they'll say, how do you make these cars look so new? And remember, I'm under fluorescent lights inside of, out of inside of a warehouse. So it's going to bring any and all imperfections out. Sure. But I, I spend a lot of money to make these cars look like you're walking into a jewelry store with lights in, in the jewelry case. I mean, they jump and they sparkle. And uh, not only cosmetically, but the mechanical side, I'm very transparent. With the third-party inspection, that I share an email to the consumers on exactly what I spent, and I even let them interact and call the, my uh, my technician team. That's a third-party vendor. That's just a great guy and truly understands customer service. And they'll call and talk to him. He'll he'll walk down every option on that checklist with them, and it's that personalized level that just makes them comfortable. In the meantime, if they if they have any questions, I'll say. If you have an iPhone, let's do a quick FaceTime. I said, I'll, I'll walk you around the car. Matter of fact, I'll take you for a ride in it. And I have a, a, a prop that I can mount the camera over my shoulder and take them for a ride in the car. I mean, it's, they're, they're sitting at home, popping, popping the second bottle of wine and we're still doing the deal. Right. So it's, uh, it's, just, it's, it's just a lot of fun when they see the difference, not only in the niche of the vehicle, but the niche of, of, of the level of customer service. I've always been a believer that you've got to blend inventory. When I say blend inventory, everybody likes to dream about a car. Mm-hmm. And when they walk in to 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 my showroom, you know, the lineup of cars coming through the front door are Ferraris and Bentley's, Lamborghinis, Porsche's, Rolls-Royce's. I mean, now that's not the bulk of my business, but I keep a heavy sprinkling of those cars there in order to build the credibility with the, uh, what might be the next future driver. There may be a $150,000 Ferrari sitting next to a $10,000 Toyota Camry, but I'm gonna tell you something, it builds a lot of value in the cars that people look to buy every day to drive when they are walking past cars that they've never seen in their life and open the door and let them sit in there and get their picture and they're posting it on Facebook and next thing I know, we're rolling. Sure. So yep. it's uh, it's great. It's just a great experience. You know, from, uh, from my swoop days and some conversations, uh, I was taught uh, almost 30 years ago. Now you had to manage a used car inventory based on a 30 day dollar supply mm-hmm. with no 45 day old physical units. And I was also reminded that cars were a lot like milk. They began to smell bad after a short period of time. And <laughs> There's a reason that uh, That you go to the market more frequently to buy some products than you buy others, so that was embedded and instilled in me at a, at a young age, and I got to tell you, I still operate now, there are vehicles that I 'll put on a longer leash. some of the highline, the exotic, the classics the specialties. Mm-hmm. It, it would be insane to try to to operate those on a, on a on a forty five day turn. But at the end of the day, the bulk of the inventory that you can see from your standpoint, we do turn them fast. Mm-hmm. But I was also taught many, many years ago that you buy on the market and sell on the market regardless of what it is. And quite frankly, you know, that's where we are right now. Some of the, uh, the auction activity, it's hard to make the math work. So you don't run out and try to load up. I mean, but you've got to buy what you know you're going to sell and get the turn on. But buy on the market and sell on the market. And fortunately, I don't have to rely heavily on the, uh, on the auctions. I've, I've been very, very fortunate and very blessed with uh, many great relationships over the years. It gives me an inside opportunity to buy inventory from a lot of the new car dealerships around the country. And my phone starts ringing about seven o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And it's still one of those things that specific franchise stores like to keep their specific franchise uh, vehicles. They, they don't. don't like to uh, cross-pollinate because they don't feel that their people understand how to properly merchandise or market that car. And some of the older cars that don't meet uh, the, the criteria of some dealerships uh, certification programs, they don't keep those either. I like, the, I like the relationships and like the ability to have an opportunity to buy.
0: That's great. There's a lot to unpack. So maybe we start with, you know, prices at auction are, are you know really really high right now but you seem to be able to um you know price cars at a premium um and, but you're still selling them qu- relatively quickly like you said there there's some niche cars that might sit on in, in your warehouse a little longer but how how are you kind of balancing those those two dichotomies
1: first and foremost I mean you've got to know your inventory and know the market mm-hmm every vehicle is unique in some way or another. So you've got to maximize the opportunity. And I think that was one of my early frustrations with, uh, watching what would happen in stores and especially in new car dealerships that, that happen to trade for a specific car. That's an outlier. It's that one of a kind car, not just in the market, but in the nation and, you know, the ability to, to, to span out on the mile default inside of the auto to, to, to look at the market of what a specific vehicle is doing, the next thing you know, you're at the top of that chart. You've got the lowest mile, nicest car in the country. Then you need to take an opportunity with that. You've got to take the opportunity to, uh, def- to fire and shoot for the moon. And, uh, I mean, customers know the market better in most cases than the, than the person that's selling the car. And if you have the ability to sit down and have a good, intelligent conversation and document the facts about it, you can ask whatever you want. I had a, a an 05 Toyota Camry last week. My phone was burning up and I was trying to get it through reconditioning. When it hit, I was 160% of the market, price to market. I had two people standing here that morning arguing over who was going to buy the car. Huh. Now, every dealership, every independent, uh, every franchise, everybody has those type of cars that you're missing gross opportunity with them. By not pricing them up, you find yourself forcing the price at a hundred percent of the market. Maybe we'll take it up to 105 or 110%. But I have to tell you, you're right. You're going to have to pull them down and you're going to have to watch price to market and keep rolling. But when there's an opportunity there and you know it, go for it.
0: Yeah. And then I think the other thing um, that I found fascinating is your decision not to include F and I as part of your business strategy. So I'm sure, you know, some of our listeners are probably going to think you're crazy (laughs) <laughs> but what factors led you to this decision, and how has it helped or maybe hurt your business?
1: Well, I might be. Uh, first, let me let me let me clarify. <laughs> I might be crazy by not doing it, but when I first opened, I took a hard look at it. Uh, I went ahead and got set up with everything I needed in order to have my hands around it. I never forget the first night they flipped the switch and turned on. I woke up the next morning. I walked in the office. I had 15 credit applications in my box on Bentleys and Ferraris and Lamborghinis that all of them together couldn't have gotten together and financed. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I, I took a hard look and said, you know, Kerry, keep it simple. I sat down with the conversation in regards to it. There were some, a lot of the compliance issues that we weren't ready to wrap our hands around. Uh, the contract and transit uh, issues we were gonna have to uh, chase, chasing steps, you know, time for me to hang the paper uh, it just it, it got to the point where I wanted to focus on the main thing of what I enjoyed doing and that was buying and selling and I didn't want to add that other that other head count that would uh, be responsible to uh, control it because it, I wasn't certain what the volume was going to be and I wanted to keep going back Kerry keep it simple just keep it simple and move forward my feeling of the future, what's going to happen with, with F&I, I think a lot of dealers prop up the success of the dealership based on uh, finance and insurance and, and extended warranty contracts, and it's all well and good. But right now, Randy, with what I'm seeing, with franchise dealers, having uh, the captives, the manufactured captive finance sources is, is, is very important for leasing and uh, for for getting some of the almost sub what I call subprime buyers bought. It's very, very important. But on the independent side, the competition for us is going to be the online options, the online banking options for for the buyer. And I'm already living in that world right now. Some of these online banking sources, they're very, very competitive on rates. They're competitive on terms. They're not looking at loan to value. They don't even require a lien filing. On the vehicle which really simplified my life to be able to do that and a customer can be sitting in front of me why we're doing the paperwork in a car with their smartphone or their pc or their their ipad doing the application within 20 minutes they're getting a funding into their checking eft wire transfer into their checking account they're at the bank getting a cashier's check for them wow and i'm paid i'm not chasing and especially during this pandemic situation trying to get payoff trades Mm. And uh, in dealing with customer service inside the banking industry, there—I mean—customer service got thrown out the window back in uh, back in March. Sure. And I love the end of the day when when a car rolls out of my uh, showroom, it's paid for. I mean, I'm I'm done. And uh, along with the fact, Randy, I think over the years listening to customers, the one of the biggest pain points was the F and I process. Not only spending all day at the dealership, you know, going into that holding pattern, waiting to get into the office to uh, to talk to the finance manager that's trying to convince them on a creative way that they ought to lease it or buy it, and mm-hmm. everything that they should buy along with it. It was a pain point. They didn't want to do it, and uh, a lot of the cars and a lot of the caliber cars and my buyers, they're check writers, or they're EFT wire transfers, or they really don't want you to know their business. They're going to get, they want to go get their own money. So. Yeah. At the end of the day, if that's what the customer wants to do, let's do it.
0: Yeah, even in the way some of our people in our some of the people in our industry talk about, you know, that process and some of the negative terminology that's used, um, it's certainly right. against what you're trying to do here with this great consumer experience buying a car.
1: And and at the, at the end of the day, I have not lost. And this question comes up quite frequently from some of my dealer friends. They say, "Well, how do you handle warranties?" And I say, "You know." I sit across my desk and look at them and say, I buy these cars with my money. I service them to the standards that I was going to keep them for myself or put my wife or kids in them. And at the end of the day, if I don't feel good about it, it's not going to be in here. So... I don't buy extended service contracts, and if I give you some advice, take that twenty five hundred or three grand, put it in an interest bearing account, and have a party in two years. And they'll look at me and they'll nod their head and they'll laugh and say, "You know what? You're absolutely right." Now I know there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this podcast and say you're crazy, you're missing a lot of gross opportunity. Yeah, I know. I probably am. At the end of the day, I don't have to worry about chargebacks, warranty cancellations, or as I was often reminded by one of my mentors, he let's let's concentrate on the money that we can keep. That money we're generating in the back end we'll keep a portion of it but we don't keep all of it
0: great great wisdom so one final question carrie and and again i thank you so much for spending time with me today you know over the years while you were at sam swope you know you were such a giving person giving back to the industry by you know hoping uh hosting dealers used vehicle managers from across the country for site visits so I'm curious if somebody came to you today and asked what they should be doing differently to be more successful, what would you say to them?
1: Well, actually, just to kind of comment on that real quick, it's actually going full circle. I'm I'm getting those requests again. That's great. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't realize I I thought I had been put out to pasture, and next thing I know, people are wanting to come see exactly what's going on with it. But as I used to tell uh, some of my my former Uh, supervisors in the years that I was having a lot of site visits and sharing a lot. They said, don't you think you're you're giving away some proprietary information that they could take back and do something with? And I said, let me tell you something. I said, when I invite these people in, I learn as much as they're taken away. And I was told many, many years ago, there's no original ideas. They're all ideas you get from somebody else and you just perfect them a little bit. So I've got guys around the country that may end up listening to this podcast and we all know who each other are. If it wouldn't have been for those times that we sat down and car guys speak that universal language that they know you're telling them the truth and you're talking fact. And when they realize that, they open up and begin to share. And if it wasn't for that, I mean, I wouldn't have learned half the stuff that I did over the years. And the advice, if I can... Leave you all with anything moving forward, and what I have learned over the years, we got to keep it simple. I mean, at the end of the day, simple is going to get done with it. Make it fun for the customer. I mean, I'm continued get reminded by customers that come in. They say, you know what, this was the most enjoyable experience we have ever had buying a car. It was it was fast. It was simple. You made it fun. We didn't feel like we were pressured at any time. This was just awesome. And there's a there's a couple of places that I have to go every week just to kind of sit back and observe and one of them I have to go twice a week is the Chick-fil-a drive-through just to see efficiency at its finest <laughs> I mean that uh, that continues to amaze me I think if they turned COVID-19 testing over they'd have everybody tested before before lunch if drive-through, <laughs> the drive-through but uh, the other one is a uh, discount tire I use discount Tire as my tire vendor but at the end of the day, when I walk in there, they sell tires. You can't get your oil changed. They don't do batteries. I, I often sit and think about the new guy that comes in that sits down in the board boardroom at the beginning of the year to try to share a best idea. You know, we're putting all these tires on, but we need to sell alignments. Nope, we're going to sell tires. We're not tying that rack up when we can sell three or four sets of tires, and the time is going to take us to do one alignment. Mm-hmm. It's just it's interesting to me to sit back and watch, but I think... You know there comes a time that you really have to sit back and reinvent your processes and and simplify the process and at the end of the day, find out you know what it is that makes you different. Reinvent yourself, just be different.
0: That's great, Carrie. I hope that uh you continue to do well and prosper and stay healthy. Um, you are one of the guys that I know in this industry that really I'm proud to know, and it really makes our industry so amazing. So thank you so much for spending time with us today
1: and thank you. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Kerry. Thank you, Randy. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: And my thanks to all of you for listening to today's dealer voices conversation. Please share this podcast with any of your friends that you think could benefit from hearing these insights. Stay tuned for our next podcast episode. And thank you for joining us today. We'll see you very soon.